I think anybody that wants to make change, I think the absolute first step you have to take is you have to know where your money is going. Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And this week, our episode is straight FIRE, the acronym F-I-R-E. We talk with Chris Mamula, who is retired at the age of 41 stopped working and had already saved enough to be able to retire. He still does a little bit of side jobs, but he has a nine-year-old child and spends a ton of time on the ski slopes. And he's able to do that because of his commitment to saving early on in his life. It's an incredible story. It's another way of looking at a mentality around saving. Is everybody going to be able to do it? Maybe not. But there are a few tidbits that we can all take from Chris's story to make us better financially and also make our community more financially literate. This episode is fire. And now let's go hear from Chris Mamula. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Chris Mamula, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Happy to talk to you. Well, Chris, I'm really stoked to kind of to dig into your story, and I'd love for you to just initially kind of talk about, you know, kind of your story to get where you are today, right? I mean, you retired at 41. I think that that's a dream of, of many people. Um, so talk us through kind of your story to, to where you are today, kind of how you got here to writing your blog, to retiring, and kind of your overall purpose. And then I want to dig in on some of that as well, but let's just give a quick introduction to the to the listener base. Yeah, so I I grew up actually in Western Pennsylvania uh, in a little kind of depressed steel town, and kind of it was an area that just struggled. Like for as an example, we bought our house there probably 15 years later when we went to move to Utah. We sold it for what we bought it for, like with zero appreciation, which is almost unheard of in this housing market mm-hmm. today to even think about something like that. But that's kind of the area, and so just kind of saw a lot of people struggling financially. And both my wife and I, our parents were high school graduates. So I just grew up in uh, very modest circumstances and kind of bought into that, you know, you got to go to college to improve yourself. So we were both first generation college graduates and I was a physical therapist. And I quickly realized after spending seven years on my education that within a year or two, like I knew I didn't just couldn't imagine doing that for 40 years. And so I'm now kind of part of this. It's called fire movement, financial independence, retire early. But at the time, I mean, I didn't think, I thought early retirement was like 55 or 60 maybe. And I didn't think you could do kind of what we ended up doing. But what we did is just live below our means, having no clue what we were doing. I lived off one salary and saved the other. And um, we made a lot of mistakes with not knowing what we were doing, investing, tax planning, having really not having a plan. But when you have that high savings rate, (laughs) you can make a lot of mistakes and it covers for them. So uh, we eventually figured it out and I left my career at age 41. And yeah, we live now in the mountains of Utah and I'm kind of a part-time blogger and a part-time ski bum. I love that. And I mean, I think, you know, to your, to your point, because one of the big things and things that you advocate on on your blog, can I retire yet.com that's C A N I retire yet.com. You you talk a lot about financial literacy and, and, you know, I think you talk about a lot of the mistakes that y'all made, but that you focus on a high savings rate, you know, where do you think from your perspective, financial literacy is today? And, you know, what, where, where do we need to get financial literacy, right? Because everybody's trying to solve for making people more financially literate. But what, you know, what do you see as the path to that? So let's start where we are today. And then let's draw out that path to where we need to be in the future in your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I just did an article about this a few weeks ago, actually. And like, there's a statistic, I forget what the percentage, but it's pathetically low, like the number of people that could cover if they had a $1,000 emergency without having to borrow for it or to take from their retirement accounts or something like that. And then like, you look at where people are at retirement age, I believe the statistic was something like outside of their house value, something like 50 or $60,000 at retirement age. And so I think like where the big thing goes is I think a lot of the time it's framed as like saving is sacrifice. And we just, we never looked at it that way. We looked at it as saving was like an opportunity to do something totally different with our life. And I really think you need that reframe. And then I also think, you know, like you hear over and over and over, you hear the same advice, which is, you know, try to save 10% of your income. And in that blog post I wrote, I mean, I kind of broke it down. If you do that, you know, if you save 10%, then by definition, you're spending 90%. So at the end of one month, you only have, you know, one ninth of one month saved. And it takes you nine months to save one month of your expenses. Whereas if you flip that and like, so in this financial independence, retire early community that I'm part of, we talk a lot about saving like 50%. And that's what my wife and I did living off of one income. And granted, you know, we've had some good fortune of living in a relatively low cost area and we both had above average income. So I mean, there's some things baked into being able to do that, but there is a lot of people that can and just don't because it's so accepted that, you know, 10% is what you save and you spend so much on your house and on your car. And so by making a couple of different big decisions, if you're saving 50%, now you say you have a month saved in only one month and that six month emergency fund you hear about all the time, you have it saved in six months and you're making progress and you have all this momentum. Whereas if you're saving that 10%, I think I did the math and it was like, four and a half years to get six months saved before you're actually putting stuff into an investment account. That's just to try to get your savings built up. And that's assuming you don't have an emergency in there that you would need an emergency fund for. So it's just a radically different approach. And it starts, I think, psychologically, but there's also tactical things to it that that are important that are very different than what most people do. I want to get to the point of once you get to that point, right? Like once you get all that savings, how do you live off of it? Because, you know, are you drawing down principal? Are you living on interest, et cetera? I want to get to that. But I want to talk on something that you mentioned of the the, the reframe of psychology. Uh, you know, in in education scenarios, right? I just read about how Florida put in a, a bill that you have to have like a half an hour, half a credit in order to graduate college or high school of financial literacy. But I don't even know what they're going to teach those kids in a half a credit to make them that much more financially. Literate. I think it's the right step, but it doesn't. It's not the solution because, it, like you mentioned, it's a reframe of psychology. But how do you overcome that, right? In the in in the world that we are today, and you think about like where we are just sitting here in this moment, right? High inflation, you know, high cost of goods because of you know some geopolitical issues, etc. How, how do you help with that reframe? How how can you help someone think through that reframe of psychology? And is there tactical financial literacy aspects like how to save and everything of that nature that they need to learn as well, or is it just strictly a reframe? I mean, so I think it's a mix. And again, kind of that that's what that whole post that I wrote was about. I read, there's a great book, Morgan Housel recently released called The Psychology of Money. And I do think that there's a lot that is psychology. I think that you do need the reframe. You do need to look at the problem different, but then you also have to have the tactical things. And, and you really can't have one without the other. But I guess if you had to put me on the spot and say, what's more important? I mean, I don't think we're suffering from a lack of knowledge. <laughs> like it's kind of like diet and exercise. I don't think there's a lack of knowledge about that stuff, but yet the average person is in our society is unhealthy and overweight and high blood pressure. And again, I used to be a physical therapist. So I'm, I'm very versed, well-versed in both of these things. And you see the medications that person after person comes in on. 
it's not like the information's not out there. And it's the same with with financial. I mean, it's not like there's not enough people writing. I mean, go in a bookstore, how many books are there? It's not hard to find this information. And yet, you know, this just, you see the statistics again, like the average person can't come up with a thousand dollars. So I, I do think the psychological reframe is required first. Yeah. And I, I kind of think back to, I mean, I just finished um, reading the book Atomic Habits, right? And it's all about making those like small incremental changes as opposed to kind of going and saying uh, right away, we're doing 50% of our income. And we're going to live off of that going from living on 90 to get to 50. It's like, what's that one small thing that takes less than two minutes of your time. That's very simple and easy to do that allows you to make that progress. And then can you do that again the next week or the next day and just build upon that? And then you get there, right? Because I think about like, you know, I wanted to read more and I was like, I never have time. And so I just said, hey, I want to read five, 10, 15 minutes a day. And then now all of a sudden I've read, you know, eight books in a year and that took, or, and we're only three months in, right? And then it took me eight, eight years to read eight books. So it's like these small incremental changes, but you have to really want it. And I think that I've always seen, I'd love your perspective of this because you said you, you reframed it from a sacrifice to a new way of living. And I, I think that people always have a challenge of, of saving money because we are in an instant gratification scenario. So how did you overcome that from a psychological standpoint? Because I think that that's the biggest challenge with savings is, you know, you, you don't get anything out of it today. And that's a challenge in our world. I, I think for us, I think the reason it was not viewed as sacrifice and it was kind of easy. So my wife and I, we both, we graduated college within one year of each other and we basically, we were just living like poor college students. I was finishing grad school. I was living with four guys in a three bedroom apartment. She put herself through school while working full time, lived in a dumpy little place. So like anything would kind of be better than that. And so like, as we started to progress our lifestyle, um, living off of one professional salary, we were able to live way better than we were. And honestly on par or a little bit better than we did growing up. And so for us, it was relatively easy. I think the problem a lot of people have is the very first thing they do. Well, first off, before they even get out of school, most people are kind of drowning in student loan debt. I was able to get through school without any loans. And my wife had about $20,000 because again, she was working full-time while going to school full-time. So we had very little loan debt. We did buy a house, but again, I think most people, they go and they say, what can you pre-qualify for? And then they let their agent take them to the top of their range. We kind of said, this is what we want to spend on a house. We knew for whatever reason, uh, again, there was no buyer movement back then. There was nobody blogging about this stuff. There wasn't even blogs back then. This was like 2001, but we just kind of intuited like, we knew how we grew up and we just because somebody said we could afford, you know, a three or $400,000 house coming out of school, like we're like, why do we want that? And, and I don't know why we had the wisdom to do that. I guess credit to us, but we did. And then the third thing is cars. Like everybody goes out and I know like all my roommates, my, my PT school friends, like they all, like one was driving an Audi, one brought a brand new pickup, like, and for whatever reason, we just kept driving our crappy car. So a couple big decisions. And, and I think that's where you mentioned before about little habits. I think that is one area where I think that's maybe not the best advice to personal finance because with personal finance, if you make a few really big decisions and housing, like, and we're in a really weird time with inflation and with everything that's going on. So this might be more challenging at this specific moment in time, but if you can get your housing and your car, right? I mean, that's about 50% of the average household spending. So if you can optimize those two things versus trying to get all those little things, cutting out the latte clipping coupons, all these little things that you hear all the time. But if you can get one or two really big things right, and then upping your income, not having student loan debt or a couple other things. And then once you can get a savings rate, cutting your taxes and saving on investing fees, 
Again, those are the big things that are going to move the needle versus trying to get all those little things. So I, I love that book, actually, The Atomic Habits. And I think in a lot of areas of life that that applies well. But in finance, as particularly with trying to get a high savings rate, I, I think you're better, you know, if you really focus on the couple of big things, I think you're going to get way more bang for your buck. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, I, I to your point, I, I do agree with that, right? Because, you know, someone says, well, go just save like $10 a month or a week. But you do that for a year and it's like, wow, I saved, you know, five, you know, $520 and I've grown it like 10% and it's just not motivating. But if you do take that like big chunk, right? 10,000 or $20,000, then there's just this like more mental thing. It's just like take that one big action and kind of let that snowball. So I, I do see that on a financial side, right? It's a little bit different than like just, just like diet habits or reading habits or something of that nature. Um, now my question to you is, you know, when you get to that point, right? So you're 41, you've been living off of one salary for probably what, 20 years at that point. Are you living off of the interest of that amount? Are you living off of, or did you just save like, and you're just burning through principal? Like talk to help, help people understand like, what does that scenario look like when you get to 41 and, and you're living the life, you know, off of what you saved? Yeah. So, so you mentioned my blog is called, Can I Retire Yet? And it's now I, I'm the sole person that does that blog, but it was started by another individual. His name is Daryl Kirkpatrick. And I literally found the blog literally asking that question because for me, I was just kind of burning out on my profession as a physical therapist. And, and to me, retirement meant like, I don't, okay, so I don't like what I'm doing as a physical therapist. So I want to stop that. And the only thing I knew was like, you retire then if, if you can, do, or, or you just get a new career. And so I wanted to do something totally different. So I was like, how do I retire? And my thought was, you know, my initial, I went down that app, that road of how much money do you need? How much can your burn rate be? How does the taxes work? All the technical things. But what I didn't kind of really appreciate at the time, and I try to write about this a lot now, is the type of person that can save 50% of their income feels really comfortable as a saver. <laughs> and so when you go from that and like, imagine like just driving down the road at 90 miles an hour and then slamming it into reverse. And like, so now you're a saver going to, a, to actually spending down all this that you've worked for. And again, like we had all this freedom because I kind of say we save 50% and we lived off one salary and save the other, but that's not really true because some years we save more than 50% because just that's how our lifestyle was. And then other years we had big splurges and we had that freedom to do that. And then when you're in retirement, if you look at traditional, the way it's talked about, you know, you're spending down at a fixed burn rate and you're, you're basically spending a set amount adjusting only for inflation and who wants to live like that. And so, yeah, we've radically changed like as we got close. And so what we do now is, I mean, my wife has a remote job. She works for a company out of Washington, DC. She works part-time. I blog and I wrote a book. And so we make some income doing that. And we have an extremely low burn rate. Last year, we were actually net savers for the year because we had a good year. And so even in like, quote unquote, retirement, we're not really spending down much. And and I'll have people that come on my blog and it says retired at 41. And they'll say, well, you're not really retired. And it's like, well, I ski 50 days a year. I have a nine-year-old. I'm at every school event she has. We travel. We do the things that we really want to do. And so like, yeah, if I I'm guilty of not being retired, then then <laughs> you can uh, call the retirement police on me. But uh, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of how it looks for us. Yeah. But I think that's pretty common that, you know, it's much more about having that freedom to do what you want versus, you know, truly being retired, sitting on a beach, playing golf five days a week or whatever. 
I think that the, the, the movie vision of retirement is not the reality vision of what retirement is. I mean, I, I know when, I mean, my, the clients that we have in our wealth management firm, right, they're retired, but they're still working. Like they're, they're, they're still doing something philanthropically. Like there's a very rare number of people that just sit at home. Maybe they're 80 or 85 and they sit at home, but not many, that's not really retirement. Like, you know, for instance, you know, a lot of our clients, they can play golf 150 times a year and they're still working. Right. They're just doing something half of the day, but they have enough where they don't need to make as much. Right. Retirement is the freedom. Retirement is freedom to do what you want and the ability to do what you want at, at that point and when you want to. And I think that that's really you know, important as a definition. And, you know, you, you mentioned it a few times and I'd like for you maybe to break it down. The the fire principles that you talk about, both in your teachings and your blog and your book, you know, what is fire? We know what FIRE really is, but like FIRE in this acronym. And, you know, what are some of the tips that we can use to continue to push this mentality? And how is this, you know, how is it growing? Is it gaining traction? Is there a ton of people around it? Like, how is the FIRE community growing? What is it? And how can we continue to spread it? Yeah, let me start with like kind of what is it? So the traditional thing is financial independence, retire early. And how that's most typically defined is you track your spending, your annual spending, and you kind of project out a little bit like things will change when you you know have to buy your own health care or whatever. But you get a number of what your spending would be. And then traditional retirement planning literature says you can spend about 4% a year. So the inverse of that is once you have 25 times that accumulated in your investment portfolio, you're quote unquote financially independent. And then if you, know, if you follow the fire, you're financially independent, then you retire early. I think it's a good starting point. And I do think that's a good metric because, uh, again, we talked about how maybe retiring isn't the best thing socially, um, emotionally, purpose-wise, all these things. But the reality is a lot of times people don't choose to retire. You know, you get injured, you get sick, you have a family member that you have to take care of. So knowing that, you know, the difference between what we're doing, what every other, you know, one-parent household or part-time household or whatever is doing is I mean, we do have that backstop that we probably could support ourselves for, if not forever, then for a very long time. So that is the difference. And, and I do think that's an important distinction. But I think like the idea that, you know, the goal is to retire as soon as you can is faulty. And kind of the way we reframed it in the book is we talk about like the phases of financial independence. And even like most people are in debt, right? So even just getting to zero debt, I mean, that's a huge advantage. Like, cause like I talked about like me getting out of physical therapy school with no debt. And my roommates all had over $100,000 of debt before the cars, before the houses, just, just student loan debt. And so I took a job. I wanted, I knew I wanted to do orthopedic and sports medicine. I took a job with a small company. It was just, it ended up being great. I mean, I was able to have extreme flexibility and I had great relationships with these doctors. Whereas my one roommate took a traveling job and my other one took this hospital job because it paid more and he didn't like what he was doing. And, you know, so just, just having zero, it just gives you options. Mm. And then when you get to that, we talked about that emergency fund that almost nobody has. Just having that, if you get laid off, if you have an illness, if your partner has an illness and you have to take care of them, all these things that, that happen to everybody, you know, you have this six months or a year of leeway and most people don't have that. Uh, so that's a huge step along the process. And then you get to the point, like we talk about, like when you get $100,000 saved, if you're making 10% a year, that's 10 grand of just free money just kicking off by your portfolio. But you have to get to that point, you know, up until then, it's basically all your savings and compounding doesn't have that much effect. But as you start to get in a six figure, uh, six figure portfolio, that's a huge deal. 
And then we talk about like if you're half financial independent. So if 25 times means you're financially independent, if you have 10 or 15 times your salary, that gives you a ton of leeway if you want to switch careers, if you want to do something totally different. And so I think looking at it as this progression, as opposed to you are financially independent or you're not, you're retired or you're not. And that dichotomy, I think that progression is just a much healthier way. And that's kind of the way we try to approach it. And I think that's becoming way more common in the FIRE community now. And how is, how big is the FIRE community? Because I mean, I think that there's something there. And I think that like, you know, when you think about financial literacy, like how do you get fire, the FIRE community more involved, even with, you know, the, the earlier systems, right? The school systems and everything of that nature. How big is the community and, and, and where is it growing from? I mean, so I live in uh, Ogden, which is an hour from Salt Lake City. And like, we have like a meetup group. And so in a, I don't know what the population of Salt Lake City is, and we probably have 30 people in our group. So, I mean, as a proportion of the population, it's extremely tiny. Uh, we, we still have all, you know, a lot of work to do to kind of convert people. And I, I don't think we're ever going to convert a large percentage of the population. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely growing and you can find people online now, at least. And I think that's important. Like, like I said, we were figuring this out. It took us a decade of just having no clue what we were doing. And then I started finding these bloggers. And now, but now there's a number of books. In addition to mine, there's, you know, countless blogs and people online who talk about this stuff. So, and, and there are people like my book is called Choose FI and it's, it's a partnership with this really popular podcast. And I think one of the things that made them very popular is they made it a point to really develop community. So they have local community. So if you just go on, on Facebook and look up like Choose FI local groups and pretty much no matter where you are, probably within an hour or two there, you'll find a group even internationally. Now there's, there's groups. I love that. And so you, you mentioned this idea of unlearn the roles of financial literacy, the unlearn idea, right? Because I talk a lot about curse of knowledge and how, you know, knowing something so well makes it hard for us to understand each of the individual steps so that we can either eliminate them, become better, automate them, whatever it may be. Talk to us a little bit about that concept. I think it's such an interesting concept to, to think about when, when you're thinking of financial literacy. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I guess where I would start, I kind of have the same concern as you. Number one, um, just imagine all the different classes you had when you were in high school. Like, what do you actually remember? And then number two, like, how are they teaching it? Like, if they're teaching these same roles that everybody already hears all the time and they just don't work, like, so as far as like how to do things different, like where where we really start, I talk a lot about the concept of being what I call a valuist. So, like, you'll hear about people who live like minimalists who don't have anything or people who are ultra frugal. And for some people that works and for some people it doesn't. Uh, but I think this term valuist is pretty universal and just meaning like really look at where your money is going and then really look at what you value and then just see, do they match up? And I would say if, if your values match your spending, then I would call that a valuist. But if you look at most people, like when you ask them what is important and they'll say being with my family, being with my friends, my health, and then you say, where is your spending? Well, 30% goes to your mortgage and 20% goes to car payments. And then maybe you make a little bit of time over here to actually have a vacation with your family or to spend time with them. Again, like the more you can line things up with your values as soon as possible and to the greatest extent possible. And again, it's going to vary. I mean, I, I totally acknowledge that, you know, not everybody can save 50%, not everybody can save 10%, but there's a much bigger pop percentage of the population. Like I grew up in the medical community. Uh, my career was in the medical community, I should say. And, you know, I, I worked with doctors, Make I, I was in orthopedics and they were making, you know, three, $400,000 as the average salary for a orthopedic surgeon. And they're not doing what I was doing. You know, they were living, they were have the country club and the BMW and the huge house and the second house. And, and again, not to criticize if that's what you truly value, but a lot of them just weren't happy. I mean, I would talk to them every day and, and I know they weren't happy, but that's what they were kind of locking themselves into that lifestyle. Cause that's what everybody does. 
Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering and I'm interested to know, and I don't know if you have any data on it, but, you know, the relationship with money today versus the relationship with money maybe 25 years ago, which means that I, I wonder if, you know, one of the, because I think technology has done an amazing thing for our world and our communities, et cetera. But one of the downsides of, you know, social media and some of that outside of it is that, you know, it's, it's led people to kind of chase the Joneses or, or keep up with the Joneses and, and create this life that they can show visually, but not necessarily is what makes them truly happy. Because I don't know if the world knows what really makes them happy now in a world that is filled with social media and technology and reality TV shows. I mean, have you seen anything like that? I'd love your perspective from that, because I think that the way that the fire community thinks is the way that people, I believe, appreciated money in the past, right? And I don't think that that's anything wrong with that. I think that we've just strayed too far away from that with uh, the evolution of, of tech and social media, all, all the good things as, as well. But Yeah, I think like one of the more popular bloggers in this fire space is a guy named, his blog is called Mr. Money Mustache. That's obviously not his real name, but, but like I think he's really more philosophical. I, I would say his writing probably is the one I would point people to if you kind of want to get into that philosophical thing. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, as your income goes up, again, it's just reflexive. But like, if you look at technology and the things you can do now, and just, I, I mean, I think almost everybody in the fire space writes about this to some degree. But yeah, I mean, we live like, I mean, if you look back even 50 years ago, but especially if you look 100 years ago, you know, this, the technology, the things that we have, the things we have access to, the number of cars, the size of homes compared to what they used to be. People make more money, but they just spend it reflexively. Again, most households now are two, two, fam, two income households. And yet, if you look at data on two income households compared to one, it's not any better because the more income you have, just the more most people spend. And again, there's exceptions, but that's the reflexive thing that's over and over you see in the patterns. Yeah. And I, I think it's just an interesting dynamic that will continue to evolve, right? I think about my kids and, you know, how the world will be different from there. And, you know, again, I think that this journey of trying to teach financial literacy and get to financial independence is so key. And you mentioned your book, Choose FI, your, your blueprint to financial independence. Tell us a little bit about the book, you know, and, and what people can take away from the book as they read it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think so much personal finance and, and I'll, I'll pick on Dave Ramsey because he's kind of the, the public figure that most people know and some people love him and some people hate him and whatever. That, that's neither here nor there. But I think like he's pretty a common example of, you know, here's what I did, follow these seven steps and one size fits all. And kind of what we did is, you know, we said like, these are the principles that we think you need to know. So, you know, if you spend less than you earn, that's a huge principle, you know, how you, you know, like where do most people spend their money? So how do you get that high savings rate? You know, how do you build your income? How do you build a network? How do you obtain skills without going into debt? All those types of things. But there's no one path. So what we did is I'm a big fan. And actually, this is my microphone stand I used to build up. It's a really big book by Tim Ferriss. It's called Tools of Titans. So um, if, if you're not familiar with Tim Ferriss, he interviews just people that are ultra successful from all areas of life. And then he turned it into this book. And, and I'm a huge fan of his podcast. But then I bought the book and I read it and I, I got value out of it. And I was like, that's what I want to do with this fire community. So I wanted to start a podcast and talk to all these different people and get different stories and different tactics. Again, the principles are the same, but the tactics are very different person to person and turn that into a book. And then so the two guys, they started the Choose FI podcast just a couple of months ahead of what I was going to do. And so I started listening and I liked what they were doing. So I reached out and I said, you know, this was my idea. What do you think about turning it into a book? So we took all these different stories, people who are kind of le thought leaders in the, in the fire space. And then we kind of organized it into 
basically you have three levers. You can spend less, earn more, and invest better. And so we each is a section of the book. And so we dive into you know the tactics with that. But then the first section is what we talked about is changing your mindset. And then the last section is, you know, what do you do after achieve after achieving financial independence? So we, we tried to put all of that together into um, a book that basically anybody could pick up and find somebody they're going to relate to. And, and again, the principles are going to be pretty constant, but the tactics are going to be very different. So they can kind of, you know, choose your own adventure. I love that. That is, I mean, that's, I, I always talk about, that's just like omni-channel marketing and content creation to a T, right? Let's use content that's already there to then present it in a different way and provide a story to help utilize, help people, you know, continue to push forward, right? How do you, we're already con- pr- producing this content, whether it's audio, video, written, whatever. And how do we package it up to tell a different story or the same story, but just in a different way? To more people, right? I love that approach. So as we wrap up here, because I know you've got your family to get to, and the and you know retirement is a is a timely thing. So I, I can appreciate that uh, with the ski slopes. But if we, I always like to have one actionable takeaway that our listeners can take home, whatever it may be, right? What's one actionable takeaway? And I, I was recently at a Barron's conference, and that, and Barron's does this as well as you know all their speakers. They have to say one actual takeaway before they get off stage. So. I like that. So I'm going to ask you, what's one actionable takeaway uh, for our listeners from our conversation today? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that wants to make change, I think the absolute first step you have to take is you have to know where your money is going. So I, what I recommend everybody do um, is to start tracking your expenses at least for a month. But you really want to do three to six months and you start to get stuff like you know insurance payments and vacations and things that don't happen all the time and it starts to even out. Uh, and eventually, if you can get to a year, that's ideal. But try to just start with a month so it's not overwhelming and just track every penny you spend and see where it goes. And then just at the end of the month, without judgment, without, you know, feeling bad about yourself, without, you know, anything, just sit down and just say, like, what do I value? So have your list of your values here and then look at where your money is going and then just compare and say, you know, how does this match up and do I need to make changes and, and where can I make the biggest changes to have the biggest impact? Because if you don't know where you're starting, it's really hard to it's really hard to improve. We have these vague goals, but if you know where you're starting, then you have a better idea of how to get there and where you want to go. I love that. That seems like an amazing worksheet to put on a website. Chris, it was amazing talking with you, man. Really inspiring and you know, very just like rational, I think, which is an awesome way of thinking about it. How can people, we were talking about you're not being on social media, so I know that they may not be able to find you on social media, but how can people find you? How can they find the book? Where is the best way for them to keep following your your story and your advice going forward. Yeah, so I, I kind of write to two different audiences. So if if you've never heard of fire and this whole concept kind of sounds foreign, but it sounds interesting and, and I hopefully made it sound accessible. My book is called Choose FI, your blueprint, your blueprint to financial independence. And you can find that anywhere you find books. And that's a really great place to start. Uh, and then my blog is called Can I Retire Yet? And it's really talking about my own journey, where I'm at. People, I kind of target that towards people who are further along the financial independence path. And maybe you want to retire. Maybe you just want to make a career change. Maybe you want to do anything just to kind of, you know, just make a change and you're ready to do that. And you're at that transition point. And that's really kind of who we target there and what we write about. And if you want to connect with me personally, that's the best place to find me. The blog is caniretireyet.com and I have contacts on there. Chris Mamula, thank you so much, man. And let's stay in touch. And I want to continue to follow your journey, which I will on your blog. And thank you so much for sharing some knowledge and actual advice to our community today. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, been fun talking to you. I appreciate it, sir. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. The Central-